A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 176th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Jason Apple and Tim Johnson. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Orrin Kaplan, and today we have Sam Reich back on the show. Matt's old co-worker at College Humor. Sam is still there, and he's talking to us about their new streaming service, Dropout, and kind of what it's like going from having TV shows on TV to doing digital shows and owning the platform. And we kind of just get into like all things show and like what we even want out of life. <laughs> yeah. You know, Sam came on the show back on episode 44. We looked it up. And back then, you know, I think we were all kind of still in the trenches of making funny videos for the internet and then also turning those videos into television properties. And that was kind of the name of the game back then. And I think that we've all had a a chance to grow and learn and try different things. And so it was really wonderful to talk to Sam, having all this history, knowing him pretty well working together so many times uh, to really take a step back and say, oh, well, this is what's changed about the way that being a funny filmmaker in Los Angeles, how that, how that's different now. Right. And also, you know, what we want, how you define what success is for yourself and what success for your career is really. So it was a good, like deep heartfelt conversation about being professionally funny as a filmmaker. Yeah, and Sam is also, uh, uniquely to this podcast, one of the people that has hired like half of the people that have been on our podcast. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's a true champion of filmmakers and continues to search out great creators. Yeah, well, cool. Well, before we chat with Sam, you want to catch up a little bit? Let's do it. Oren, before, yeah. before we hop into chatting with Sam, I'm dying to know... What have you been working on lately? Well, I've been in development. I just applied to a competition, which is one of those things that feels like you do when you first move to LA and then you stop doing. But my manager sent it to me and he was like, hey, you should apply to this. And I thought, why not? So I I teamed up with another filmmaker, Sonny, and we, it was a, it was a pretty in-depth application. We had to write an essay, uh, bios, we had to make mm-hmm. like a 10-page lookbook uh, for our project, send in a script. And it was kind of fun. And it's one of those things that like kind of forces you to come up with a show. And if we don't get in to this program, we'll still have it to pitch around 
in other places. So that's been kind of fun. And it's just a reminder that like, no matter how long you've been doing these things, it's always good to kind of keep like meeting new people and trying to, trying to find new avenues into filmmaking. Yeah. Have you ever done grants or anything like that? I've never done grants. Because it's a similar process. And I think the nice thing about it is that it force it asks you questions that you will you will be asked eventually, but maybe someone hasn't verbalized them to you yet, and it forces you to come up with an awesome answer. So it's like at the very least, even if nothing comes from this program, you have a better answer. You have a thoughtful answer for how to describe your show a couple different ways. Yeah. So this program is called Disney Launchpad, which unfortunately by the time this episode comes out will be not open for applications anymore since the, it's, the application is due tomorrow uh, on the day we're recording it. But if you even just go and check it out and see what they ask you, it's like a great summary of things you should know about your show before you pitch them. Mm-hmm. And for example, why are you uniquely capable of telling the story? Yeah. And that'll be a question that you'll see in grants or other incubators. I think it's, you know, though it sounds like this is the last opportunity for Disney Launchpad this year or whatever their term is, there are a ton of other um, grants and opportunities for people like obviously Sundance Labs and all that stuff. And I'm sure some great website has uh, profiled all of them. Yeah. The other thing is I'm working on another project also for Disney and it's more of more in the commercial scope. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. The producer called me this morning and he said, Hey, we need to get on the phone with everyone tomorrow morning from Disney and you need they're a little worried about the locations. You need to basically talk them off the ledge and tell them why the location that we have is going to work. Mm-hmm. Now, I had not seen the script mm-hmm. when he called me. I did not know what we were shooting and I did not know what the location was, but uh I thought it's interesting a lot of times as the director, your job is to sell an idea that's mm-hmm. not yours that's maybe not yours yeah uh and then i read the script and i was like yeah i see why they're concerned <laughs> and i would love to find a better solution than what we have right do now do you feel like they're kind of asking you to solve a problem that is not really your responsibility like could you be like you know what they're right let's find something new i i can the reason the production company and the producer specifically wanted me to sell them on this answer is because from a budget and scheduling standpoint it's like by far the best answer yeah producer reasons it's pretty much yeah using a location that's right next to literally in the same building as the other location we need to shoot at that day Mm. uh so you know i'm all in favor of like maximizing shoot time sure but at, at what expense so i think my strategy when i get on the phone with everyone tomorrow and again, the context of this is like at any point they could fire me if they don't mm-hmm. feel like I'm if Disney thinks I'm the wrong person or if the production company thinks I'm not pushing things in the right doable direction. Uh, so my job is to make Disney feel like they're listened to, mm-hmm. make the production company feel like they're listened to, but come up with an answer that makes the project as good as it can be while also taking into account the schedule and the budget and all that right. stuff. So. Right. It's like as a director, especially in the commercial world, maybe even exclusively in the commercial world, like a huge part of your job is to 
a huge challenge of your job is to make everyone happy while serving the project. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, have you been in those situations before? Yeah, plenty of times. And I think that, I think you and I are both pretty well suited to do that. You know, I think it comes naturally. I think there's like a common instinct in directors to be like, you know, good boys and girls, you know, like people pleasers a little bit. And I find, I think we're constantly both trying to figure out how to not uh, make that the priority in quite the same way. You know, without being difficult, we're both nice guys. You don't want to be like a pain in or, or sell somebody out. But also like, I constantly am trying to think, do I want to do this because it's smart for production and that makes my life easier and therefore the product better ultimately? Or is it just me trying to play nice and and at least know one way or the other? You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Well, so in this situation where we're talking about, uh, you know, what's the perfect location for production versus the perfect location for creative, mm -hmm. I think m maybe beginning directing Oren would think like, well, I can either agree with them and mm -hmm. the producers and everyone will like me and I'll sell through the idea, you know. Or I'll disagree with them and I'll throw them under the bus and make them look bad and say right. like, well, they're the bad ones, not me. Right. Right. But the more I've done this, the more I've realized that like literally probably one of the, uh, an answer that might seem not confident, but actually is confident is saying like, look, I hear your concerns and I totally agree with them. I think we should scout and try to find a solution that works for us together. The reality is our worst case scenario is we go with what mm -hmm. the producers are saying and we'll still make it awesome. You know, we'll shoot in this hotel room. We'll make it look like a house or whatever. Our best case scenario is we'll find something that looks really exactly like a house. that has depth and windows and lets us move around a little bit. Um, that is, you know, we'll work with the AD to find out that it's doable at the same day that we're doing these other shots and right. with a small company move. So I think that's my strategy for tomorrow is like try to say everyone is right and we're going to find something right. that works for everyone. So... Yeah, and I think my, my instinct used to be like, well, that doesn't sound confident, you know? Mm. That sounds like I don't know the answer, which, but that's the truth, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, know? Sure. So let's work together to find an answer. Is, is typically the best uh, move you as a director can make, I think. Agreed. Unless Agreed. you're Stanley Kubrick, and then you're just like, I need that fucking door, red door yeah. apartment in Manhattan. You better find it for me. Do it again. Awesome, man. Well, can't wait to hear how the spots turn out, see how they, they look. Before we hop into our conversation with Sam, though, we have a, a little bit of housekeeping. Yes. Number one, we have a Patreon. Check it out. Patreon.com slash Just Shoot a Pod. It's a place that you can help support the podcast if you feel like you get anything out of it and want to help us and tell us that you want us to keep making it. Uh, check it out. Um, you can give us a dollar a month. If you give us $10 a month, even if it was for only one month, we will send you a thank you gift, which is a Just Shoot It podcast hat which people have been loving. It protects you from the sun, and it looks cool. And yeah, we, we just sold out of our first batch, so we're ordering more. They're on their way. Yeah. They'll probably, by the time this episode comes out, they'll, they'll be there. Yeah, I'm going to pull a Craig Mazin and say that if you spend $10 and we send you the hat, we actually lose a tiny bit of money on it. That is true. But we are excited because it's like, you know, people are liking the show, so that's cool. And that's what Patreon does. It helps us with spreading the word, helps us know that people are listening, and also helps us with planning live events. Yeah, so patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. Thanks, everyone. 
Cool. And speaking of supporting us, here's a word from our sponsor. Before we get to the rest of our show, we wanted to talk to Zach Lepofsky for a second. He's a filmmaker that created an app called Shotlister, and he's with us right now. And we're going to talk a little bit about the app. One of the cool things about it is it lets you color code your shots throughout the day as you're shooting red or green to indicate what you've already finished and kind of give you a bird's eye view of the project. Can you tell us a little bit more about the color coding and why you think it's a helpful feature? Yeah, I mean, basically when you build your shot list, you can then build sort of a shooting schedule where you put in all the shots you want to get in the order and how long you estimate each one's going to take. Uh, and hopefully that adds up to 12 hours if you're doing a 12-hour day or whatever. And then when you're actually shooting, it goes into something called live mode where it knows what time it is. It knows how many shots you've actually done already. And it can add up for you <laughs> all the shots that are left and say, geez, uh, hmm. There's about 45 minutes more shots here than you have time to do. And it tells you you're 45 minutes behind. And when that's the case, the whole app glows red. <laughs> and the crew can see that when it's in your hand. And Does it start beeping? Does It doesn't beep. We've definitely been requested, can it glow yellow when we're just a little bit behind? Does it have to really go red? <laughs> and often, you know, 90% of the time it's glowing red. If anyone's been on set, they know. Yeah. Is there like a shock collar accessory that you guys sell in case it's in the red for too long? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we've had a lot of requests for that, yeah, but uh, unfortunately, um, you know, uh, PETA hasn't let us do that. But, you know, people start knowing, they say, are we in the green, are we in the red? And, um, and it can be really helpful because you can then readjust all the shots, you know, and all your estimates based on how things have changed and then get it back on schedule. So you can move the important stuff, you know, up in the shot list and maybe get rid of or combine shots that you actually realize you don't need because often when you're shooting a scene you realize you don't need that coverage or a second unit can get those close-ups later and then you can get the schedule back to green basically usually you do that at lunch when you're in a mad panic uh and then sync it with the whole crew and show them the new plan so the color coding ends up being really helpful for that i have an idea for a feature it's called time decoy mode and it just <laughs> always basically puts you half an hour behind so that you uh, hopefully finish yeah. on time well, you definitely don't want to let the crew know that you're an hour ahead of schedule because then they all start relaxing. That's right. really why you need the yellow mode. It's not for red. <laughs> it's for when you're like green-ish, basically. Yeah. Well, I think there's a healthy there's a healthy energy that comes from being in the red. You know, it right. really kicks your butt. You don't want to be too calm. That's awesome. I'm, I wanted to get it, but I can't afford it at this point. I was just wondering, is there like some freeway that I could get it? Yes. For any people out there, we're actually going to give away the app to anyone who emails justshootitpod at shotlister.com. We're giving away 50 codes a month, every month, forever. So if you need a free copy, just email justshootitpod at shotlister.com and we'll send you one. So every month, forever. <laughs> yeah, as long as this podcast is listenable by human beings. Well, that's arguable at this point anyways. <laughs> And Zach, what should listeners that want a free copy of Shotlister write to you in that email? Just a blank email? They could put what platform they want, because we have Mac OS, iOS, Android. Um, so let us know which one of those you want. And then assuming we haven't given away 50 that month, we'll send you a, a free code. But then you can always email the month after that. Awesome. Well, cool. Thanks so much. We are excited to check it out. And uh, to our listeners, if you do get a free copy of it, please email us at justshootapod at gmail.com and let us know what you think. And if you have any feature recommendations, let me know and I will tell you how cool I think they are. Yeah. Uh, if you are listening to this podcast, even months from now, even years from now, email justshootapod at shotlister.com for your free copy of Shotlister. 
Great. Without further ado, let's hop into our conversation with Sam. Cool. We're here with Sam Reich. Hey, Sam. Hello. Well, welcome back, buddy. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Do you prefer Reich or Reich? Reich. Even though you spell it with an E. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I inherited the name, so I just pronounce it how I was told. And do you ever put an E on the end of it just to make it easier for just people? Just for fun. I try not to make m- my last name any more complicated than it already is for people. I get Reich most often. I get right. rich sometimes. Yeah. Oh. Which strikes yeah. me as an equal stab in the dark. No, yes. That's rich. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, maybe like if you're Reich. just reading it very quickly and mm-hmm. you just miss a letter. Yes. Then rich makes sense to me. Totally. That form of dyslexia where you just don't read certain sure. letters. Uh, laziness is what that's called. <laughs> I have a friend named Ken Fuhrer. That's what I've got. If you guys got married, your name mm. would be Fuhrerake. Mm. Or our Rake. hyphen name? Yeah. Rake. Yes. Rake Fuhrer. Yes. Let us not have Imagine... a baby and name it third. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, this is an honest question, but when two men get married, do they hyphenate the last names? Yeah. I mean, obviously I would... they can do whatever they want, but. I, th- I, I think, think, exactly, I think it's exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. But whose last name first? Or do you use your last name first and then your partner's? Well, your it's a good, like, this is irrelevant to this podcast, <laughs> but would you prefer like a first or a last name in a hyphen last name situation? Like, is, I could see you going either way, like if you wanted prominence. If it were me, honestly, I would just think about what sounds easiest what's like a rounder aesthetic sound you know that's a director right there sure that's true yeah my brother hyphenated his last name and i think he went so he went blanco and low and i think traditionally and my parents were like enlo should go first if you're gonna hyphenate Hmm. you're the man he's like it sounds better it's fine (laughs) but the whole point of Hmm. hyphenating is you're not like it's because you're not the it's it's not about being the man yeah we're just a couple now Blanco Enlo sounds better than Enlo Blanco. Sure. I think they should have gone with Blanlo. Yeah, that's true. My niece is uh, Reich Sharp. That's nice. Reich Sharp. Yeah. yeah. That's good. It's got that like mutual sort of sound mm-hmm. in the middle, mm-hmm. whereas Sharp Reich sounds like a direction. Yeah. That's, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You turned Sharp Reich. Yeah, a sharp Reich. Yeah. I love uh, Wilkheim. Yeah. My, that's oh, my good. favorite version. How freaking cool is that? Yeah. 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 I mean, he didn't make it up, you know. Mayor Viragosa made it up, okay. Is that true? Yeah. His name was uh, Mr. Villar, and his wife's name was Miss Ragosa. They got married. Mayor, He became mayor, Viragosa. Then they got divorced, but he was already He's mayor. Like, so no, this is too good. <laughs> had to keep his stage name. Yeah. Sure. I would straight up consider taking my wife's last name if I hadn't already launched a career by the time mm-hmm. I was her husband. What a perfect segue. So you've launched your career, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> how's it going that's that's a truly lazy segue <laughs> yeah, i think it comes about it's full circle actually i think it's <laughs> it's so ham-fisted that it's clever it again i like it it's great yeah. i loved yeah. it yeah. i love i just like i was actually impressed by how lazy it was <laughs> Thank um you. i'm i'm fine Thanks for asking. Uh, Sam, we had you on the show back on episode 44. No way. Yeah. Is that what it was? I just looked it up. What episode are you on now? Can you guess? Knowing that we do one a week. And you've done it consistently? Now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Probably probably in the time in between when we recorded with you and now. 
Probably pretty consistently. Mostly consistent. This is like yeah. an interview okay. question at Microsoft. Yeah. See, <laughs> I had said in my mind it had been a year, which means it's been like two and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say that we're in between. I, I think we're in the 150 to 200 zone. That is a very good guess. Yeah, that's exactly right. What, wait, what are 176. we? 176. Wow. Guys, congratulations. Hey, thanks, man. Oh, yeah. September 16th, 2016. Oh, wow. Oh, it that was, was pre. Wow. That was in the Obama days, Obama era. Oh, man. That's crazy. That was God. We were all preparing for the Hillary era. It's really rough uh, to listen to those episodes, actually, because we do a lot of our catch up and we're both like spiraling. I think yes. there's a couple episodes where, like, you can hear it in our voices of like, what's going to happen? Oh, I, I had a straight up panic attack. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know what's funny? I tell this story all the time. The thing that made me realize that Trump was going to get elected is that I did some videos for you guys. Um, I did like an Obama impersonator, like if he said what Trump said. Oh, I don't like where this is going. And uh, a handful, uh, like a an Ivanka PSA style video, a couple other things. That I thought were really good. I was really proud of them. I, you know, um, we're all doing our part, you know. Yeah. And I started reading the comments, and I was like, "Oh, this audience that I thought I knew, yeah, like I'd been making videos for you guys for like yes. a while at this point, like, and it was something I was really proud of and passionate about. And then I was like, oh, the not everyone sees the world the way I do.' And it was the fr- it was the most intimate and uh largest sample size right because those videos were getting you know half a million a couple million yeah. views you know yeah. um and to not re- to put any numbers on it sam <laughs> <laughs> some numbers are published <laughs> uh youtube kosher. is changing that actually i think they were like kind no. of bummed on it yeah because they didn't really? want it to be a thing what the view count mm-hmm. they didn't want it to be a thing in 2006 what do you mean yeah well like now it's such a huge metric for whether or not a video is Huh. I know that Instagram or good or, is yeah. not going to show how many likes or something. Or they'll show oh, like approximate number of likes. Yeah, I think they were... Because people were just gaming the system. Like, I think at some point, like, everyone is hiring, like, a click farm in India to get views right. on their things. Right. And it becomes Weird. not a, an accurate measurement of anything. But people are spending so much money on it. Yeah. On YouTube, I mean, there's always a latest thing that you should be optimizing for. Right. And right. now it's watch time. Right. Um, more so than oh, and brand safety, more so than anything else. What's brand safety? Meaning, um, don't be controversial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, um, but can you? What's controversial? Like that is it, it's controversial. What's controversial? Right? Like, well, YouTube is very vague about this, but it it's a broad definition, and it can stem from you know worst case scenario where someone's like doing drugs to. Uh, something more innocent like cursing all the way up to a kind of a premise which scares me which is a a video is very political and then you get to the definition of like well what's political but the reason is obviously brands don't want to put their videos their their advertisements next to these videos and if you're a brand you could understand you know you're coca-cola you don't want right party affiliation and and there i think were probably uh some big instances where brands were up against videos they really really didn't want to be a part of right so i think there's a difference between like a comedy video that leans one way or the other and like you know propaganda or you know hate speech you know like i think that they had they were running into those sorts of problems as you know 
yes. the elections were happening. Well, that's why right? Disney fired the number one YouTuber on the planet, right? PewDiePie, because he mm. made a joke that sure. was con- controversial. But sure. I guess to me what's funny is like, obviously someone's saying something very racist uh, and negative and like inciting violence in some ways, like clearly controversial, but is somebody being like super pro-choice also controversial? You know? Well, that's that's exactly the rub, right? Like we as, I want to say probably like progressive and also like rational people would recognize the distinction between, mm-hmm. for instance, like making an argument uh, in support of Nazism and making an argument in support of feminism. <laughs> but right. I'm not sure that YouTube does well all the time. Yeah, sure. Um, talk about a good segue, Sam. Mm-hmm. Um, because you, since we last spoke, uh, launched a new streaming series or yeah. streaming platform. Pardon <laughs> streaming platform. <laughs> You're taking Dropout, the power right? out of YouTube. And putting it in your own <laughs> and uh, company, you you guys, your launch video did make the point like, hey, we don't want to have to think about this stuff. We just want to make what's funny. Basically. Sure, sure. So, was all of this kind of like YouTube rebalancing part of that thought process? Um, yeah. I mean, I think it was, and then it was also sort of this broader kind of thing, which is, look, when you're making content, often you're handing the keys over to someone else and you could maintain ownership over the car. Maybe you have a, maybe you have a key, but someone else is the override function. And if you are uh, making videos for YouTube, that's YouTube and YouTube has its own set of its own constantly moving target, which is very, very hard to keep up with as a content creator. There have been a ton of videos made about this that are really, really great on YouTube. Um, and I, you know, could speak more to it, but but you ever watch Matt Pat videos, the game theorist? Yes, I have he's the before. Best. Like, yeah. he's, he's like a genius and was just like a marketing kid. Yeah, at Big Frame. So like when I was making Squaresville, he'd be like, "Hey, you need to you know do these things," and I'd be like, "It's fine, dude." I'm just, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He'd be like, "Hey, watch this," and he just launched a channel that's <laughs> totally. But every once in a while, he mostly does like comedy videos about video games. But yes, once or twice a year, we'll do like a the state of YouTube sort of. Yes, algorithm that's right that's really interesting yeah. yeah totally um youtube creators love the the topic of sure what it is to be a youtube content creator um right. but then the same is true of networks tv networks right you're handing the keys over to them that's its sort of like own mm-hmm. loss of agency so this is going to sound very bleak but maybe there's a positive punchline that i can wrap this out to and then the third is like advertisers Funny thing about advertisers is that's who YouTube is really playing for, and that's who the networks are playing for. Sure, it's their set of standards. Right, they're the people paying for everything. Right. So if you go direct to consumer and you let your audience pay for the product, it stands to reason that you would be at the very least taking out the middle person. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And your relationship with your audience would allow to exist more purely. Right. Than it does in either of these systems where there are all these in-betweeners. Right. That's why someone like HBO can make things that are controversial. Right. Right. Although, I don't know that their stuff is that controversial. I mean, everyone was pissed off about the ending of Game of Thrones. but um, <laughs> Well, I think if you're HBO, it allows you to afford to take certain kinds of risks. Sure. Um, yeah. Meaning, you know, we're going to do something and it's eight parts and then it's over. Or we're going to do, uh, you know, like a one-off, like a movie, or we're going to do, um, but you they, know, the, the they fr- did televise like Pod Save America, which is like a decidedly 
leftist podcast, yes. right? Sure. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, and so I wonder if like that would seem controversial in some circles. Sure, sure. Or you can make the most expensive television show ever made. Right. Like these are decisions you can made make if you're holding all of the power. Right, right. Not like, well, what does Coca-Cola think about this dragon show? Sure, right? sure. Or we'd like to do eight episodes of this, but like then the advertisers are going to learn about it the moment it's over. <laughs> right. So right, what's right. the point? Does HBO ever release their numbers? Like, do we know? I mean, I know, I think it's a known fact that like, Game of Thrones was the most pirated show of all time. <laughs> I think I think they've got Nielsen numbers. They do, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, back in the day when they used to sit in like ratings meetings, you know, you would watch the people, like the analytics people, spin things to be like, "Hey, we were the number one on Wednesday night uh, in our guys, which is eighteen to thirty-four, blah, 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 you know, like on the West Coast, who also had TV on, and sure. our lead-in was sure. perfect. You know, we were number one with Mormons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah." And I'd be like, these Big Bang Theory reruns <laughs> seem to be beating us every, every <laughs> year. <laughs> like, yeah, number one new show. Yeah, that, that actually is exactly the sort of logic they would use. Yes. I mean, like, oh, those old, basically free shows? Or yeah, yeah. and then they can insert into their advertising. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so how how long has Dropout been open to the public? Uh, it's been around since uh, October... We've been working on it since late 2017, I want to say. Basically, um, you know, we had come out to L.A. uh, with 25 members of the College Humor video team. We had started to do TV. Adam Ruins Everything was probably like the biggest success for us in that space. And then at a certain point, our parent company turned around and said, well, this is all well and good, but you're giving away the product. And, and we were, I mean, we were selling intellectual property. Like that's mm-hmm. what the business of television kind of is. But, but at a profit, right? Sure. Yes. You make money by doing it. Um, but if you're in the business of business, like if you are building a business. Mm-hmm. If you're Barry Diller. If you, for instance, yeah, let's just a, say you're Barry Diller. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then the the margins on this business meaning like the amount of money you're making per giving away of intellectual property are not all that handsome i mean really a production company that's what we were a production company doesn't typically make a ton of money unless you get very big and have yeah. a lot of like, leverage like very very big yes like I, yeah. yeah but there's like a difference between like production services like the people are actually making the show like hiring the camera crew and editing yes. it and the people that created and are writing the show right or is that not not there so? is a small distinction probably not um as much as you would think because who we were is like yeah we were the owners of the intellectual property we shared some of that ownership with the creators of the show but we didn't always like we worked with creators who came to us with ideas in which case we really were just production services and we were going to the networks and trying to pitch ourselves as like the production company. Like yeah. we endorsed this show, but it wasn't our show. I I went up to Silicon Valley to do some like fundraising about a year ago. But I met with uh, a guy who like is invested in a couple hundred, maybe a thousand companies. And he was, you know, he does all right. He's like pretty rich, basically. And he's an old friend of my wife's from high school. And so he was like, I'm going to, 
in in that sort of like Silicon Valley, like I'm just going to be brutally honest with you and not yeah. understand how this could be terrible. Um, I'm going to draw you a chart and I'm going to show you why I'm never going to invest in a movie because that's idiotic. <laughs> and he was like, okay, like what's, what's the best case scenario on this movie? Like what's the most money it could possibly make? And we were like, I don't know, like Sundance, like, you know, just sold something for like someone just sold something for like 15 million, you know, something like that. And he was like, okay, great. And he throws it up on the chart and he's like, yeah. I've, I'm invested in X number of companies right now, and if one of them makes the same sort of money that like Twitter does, and they all have the potential to do that, and then, then he just like drew basically a hockey stick <laughs> right. for the graph. He's like, this is how much, like it, the movies didn't even, they weren't even on the same scale of chart. Totally. The sort of money that you're looking to make if you're, totally. you know, in the business of business, yes. basically. Yeah. Right. So, like, even great margins on a television show compared to starting, I don't know, Tinder. Yes. uh, Terrifics, for instance. I mean, like, Tinder has had a kind of, like, an astronomical success success for our parent company. Right. And I should say Tinder is owned by IAC as well. Yes. And literally, you watched the building across the street just kind of become... Turn into Tinder. Turn into Tinder. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Now they're taking over our building. Oh, cool. As well, they're they're on floor three of our building. I think it's just a matter of... They should have, if you walk in through, like, the left door, you're not single. (laughs) (laughs) If you walk in through the right door, you're single. Um... You guys can use that if you want. Um, <laughs> is, yeah. uh, so, so as a production company, I'm curious, I guess, is the move, do you basically just build in a production company fee, like 10% of the budget or something? And yeah, pretty that's much. what you make and it, there's pretty no much. upside? You, you can, if you, again, if you have leverage, you can hold on to some back-end participation, which is meaningful. It could even be participation in international sales of the show, um, which our company, not really us, but the parent, the company that we belonged to, Electus, had some of that uh, leverage, and so we held that onto some international participation. Um, but if you're starting out as a production company, there's no way that you could leverage that. And even even we, with certain networks, weren't able to get it because they were cracking down so much mm-hmm. on these uh, these privileges. And what about, would you be able to sell your own advertising or anything like that? Like I mean, maybe if you were like really, really clever, sure. Like branded content, right? That's sort of built into the show. You see Conan does a certain sure. amount of that. Right, um, right. We've had some opportunities with Adam Ruins Everything to do that, but it's very tricky with that show. Yeah, it's like, right. what if <laughs> like, you ruin Coca-Cola? Oh, wait, we yeah. don't want you to do that. Sugar is the devil in killing yeah. you. And yeah. by the way, yeah, yeah, Mountain sure. Dew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. Also, yeah. like, I think when Sugar you've got <laughs> a host who's, his persona is to be scrupulous and, you know, be guarded about that yes. stuff. I think it's especially hard for him to be selling something to an audience. Totally. Like it kind of inda- validates the show. Basically. Totally. Totally. Which, which, you know, was our, I mean, that, that was very much our opinion too. And, you know, I'm proud to have made that kind of a show. Sure. It just goes to show you that like art and capitalism sometimes are, uh, clashy cousins. Sure. You can just put a pair of cool Nikes on his, on his feet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have him smoke a jewel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wear AirPods. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Well, cool. So what's the 
Oh, uh, so the the second half of that was that around that the same time that those conversations were happening, I was going through this like vulnerable moment in my TV career where it was kind of less fun than it had ever been before. We had <laughs> had the success of Adam and a couple of other shows make it to air. Um, and we were under pressure to do more. And we had a pilot that I just loved. I mean, I think it was the best thing we made. Um, are you allowed to tell us when it wasn't? Yeah, I think it was fine. Enough time has gone on now. Um, but it was directed by Paul Briganti mm-hmm. and it starred John Gabris and Betsy Sidero as brothers and a brother and sister duo. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And it was unbelievably funny. Yeah. And the script was at Comedy Central and Comedy Central passed on it. And that's when uh, we got it because it went to MTV and MTV said, we want to make it. Who's uh-huh. the production company? We came aboard. We made the pilot. MTV was like, we love this, but it feels too Comedy Central. And then it went <laughs> back to Comedy Central and Comedy Central said, we really like it too. And for the, they're owned by the same company. Both yes, they're both company. owned by Viacom. Yeah. So you went literally... You got in the elevator and went back down to Comedy yeah, essentially, yeah, yeah, essentially. And they were like, we love this, but it feels too MTV. I mean, who wrote this? Like, where did you guys get the script from? It was written by um, Dan Greger and Doug Mand. Like, phenomenal hmm. writers, um, if you don't know them. Are they employees no, no, no. of College Humor? No, they, um, so they did How I Met Your Mother, and then they've done Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and then they did a very funny movie called Most Likely to Murder, um, with Adam Pally and Rachel Bloom. And now they're like re they're, they're on like so many cool movies now. Awesome writing duo. Awesome. And we could have held them back. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> yeah. and how did they get to you? They could have been making peanuts <laughs> for comedy central. Um, I've had a relationship with Dan for a long time. Um, and we were just like one of the production companies in consideration mm-hmm. for this job. Three Arts and them actually interviewed us. Oh, interesting. Because um, Three Arts was another producer on it. And it was just so, like, it came together so well. It was so funny. And then it didn't get made. And I was like, is this my future? Like, sure. Is my future creating, like, is my best work going to be work that nobody gets to see? Right. Right. And around the same time. Uh, and you know, are you going to start tweaking your work just to, to get it? On yeah. TV, do you as want to play to being like what you're most excited about? Yeah, there's totally. that game of second guessing yourself. Well, maybe they will like this because Betsy Sidaro and Gabrus are so funny, so fun. I mean, so like funny. Like, Betsy just did a role for us in a show that we just released for the platform, and you know, she's she's a classic level talent, like the kind of talent yeah. that, like, I think Betsy will be remembered. 50 years from now yeah you know? yeah and i think it's just kind of had and this is maybe true for gabrus a little bit as well of just like getting cast in the wrong thing you know like she had a, a network sitcom that she was a, a lead on that just was right. a little too broad and you know like just kind of you end up having a little bit of bad luck and so america doesn't know you but like will pop and will be so famous someday so it feels like all of which is to say not just that i'm a fan but like but this feels like a safe bet. Sure. Like if yeah. y- if you said to me, "Hey, Paul's going to do this show with these two people as the lead," I'd be like, "Great, sure. have fun making that TV show for yes. five years." Yes, like talent you want to invest in. Exactly. Yeah, and then so IEC was essentially offering us a ticket to turn inwards at the same time, and you know now with Dropout, it's like we're making like shows. saying you be the network. Essentially, you be the production company. You be the development house, you be the production company, and you be the network. 
Right? And you and you get to choose who green what you greenlight. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the, you guys will take projects from outside of. We haven't humor, right? so far, which is kind of nuts. And you figure if this thing is successful, that at one point we'll have to. Um, but for now, we've developed everything that's gone on to the platform ourselves. How much? How much is on the platform right now? So we launched with five shows, and then like half hour episodes, or what do you? Or? No, kind of a mix. I mean, some of our unscripted stuff skews a little bit longer. Our longest show is a dimension is called Dimension Twenty. It's a D and D actual play show, and episodes are ninety minutes, oh, which. Yeah. For like two hours in <laughs> yeah. some cases. We were just talking to someone who's like, oh, I watch these three and a half hour D&D episodes like all the time. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was, I I was like. You lost me by the second D. I don't yeah, know yeah. I was very, we've all been very surprised by just how well that show has done. Um, and then on the shorter side of things, some of our scripted shows are like, you know, 10 minute episodes, 12 minute episodes. Yeah, kind of more mid mid form exactly yeah 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 um and the platform i think we mentioned it but i feel like we should re-mention it it's called dropout dropout can you tell us three of the rejected names yes um inside joke like (laughs) if you want to be in on the joke you gotta get inside yeah not bad right right um and then like on the splash page you like click joke and it like opens up the, you fly into the o i love this do you do web design uh, i did back in the 80s <laughs> uh medicine as in laughter is the best medicine cool cool um <laughs> and varsity was an early rejected pitch. varsity varsity oh varsity like varsity yeah. blues yeah yeah that's the only place i know that word from <laughs> <laughs> certainly not that's related to academia in any way oh and my actually my but favorite but college yeah. humor is not is is not high school right right college yeah, humor is still, not high school but you var- are correct varsity you can be varsity in college as well right like isn't that true yes like, you can, can be like and i only know this because we researched it at the <laughs> yeah. time wait yeah. what's varsity like the varsity and um like ultimate frisbee team what, what? well there's plenty of sports teams in college you know but yeah. isn't it isn't varsity like there's junior varsity and varsity yeah right? you, fresh stuff you know i'm like realizing how little i, I understand about I varsity. Know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah three yeah three yeah. like video three nerds <laughs> yeah, talking yeah. about sports there's no varsity in band i can tell you that much so. <laughs> that's yeah, right but you can letter in band yeah, I did. There's no, there's no <laughs> varsity in uh, Devil Sticks or Diablo either. Sure, yeah. I can tell you that much. That's uh, some theater camp shit right there. <laughs> uh, my favorite rejected name was uh, Pizza. The idea was just call the platform Pizza. Pizza, that's funny. Like yeah. when anyone, when anyone wants pizza, they'll accidentally yeah. subscribe to us. Of, that's right. of yeah. all of the things that like come with a cool corporate job you know like a creative cor- corporate job naming a platform or a website is the number one least favorite thing i can think of totally we actually interestingly naming things is so awful in general mm-hmm. that we have an entire slack channel we know what slack is here yeah um dedicated to you may aren't listeners may not know slack actually it's, just a, it's a like tool a, a for, chat tool yeah, yeah it's yeah, basically like people to intro. collaborate intra-company chat tool and the fun of it is like you can have real conversations versus email where you're like waiting 
to hear from people. It's just a big pile on. So right. we have a channel that we use for brainstorming where we name almost everything in that channel. Mm-hmm. Basically, everyone comes up with names. And when there's a name that everybody likes, they all pile in with emoji responses to uh-huh. that name. And you can kind of see which ones rise to the top. Interesting. Yeah. Very, it's it's great. I left corporate America before Slack was a thing. Yeah, me too. I am on one Slack channel. Yeah? yeah what is it? For a, it's this <laughs> this After Effects plugin. The developer like <laughs> invited some people to like so beta nice. test it. And <laughs> we talk cool. about the problems. That's the most oh, boring the thing I've ever heard. Is it uh, constructive? Yeah. I reported a lot of bugs. There you and go. Uh, I got a free copy of the plugin. Oh, there you go. Not bad. Um uh, so at Comedy Central, they had to, we had to brainstorm the the comedy show in Jamaica, and it's get up stand up. Oh yeah! Oh, that, that's it! <laughs> Amazing! That's, that's yeah. Good. I just think about that all the time. Like somebody said that, and then they all got to leave because that's always, a perfect yes. name. <laughs> yeah, always it's the most rare. simple yeah. name, right? Is the best name. Yeah, but you also like you you go down that rabbit hole of wanting to add a joke in, and then it's like nothing is ever going to be funny the 60th time you say it and a title you just have to say all the time right yeah i always go for really long titles like six set like eternal sunshine of the spouse my type of titles and i'm like that's hilarious but then you have to know like okay well they just call it eternal sunshine yeah totally we launch we have a show on the platform which i'm very affectionate about which is essentially a game of mafia if you've never played Mm -hmm. the party game mafia it's like secret hitler or werewolf, they all work the same Again, way. Again, right? camp counselor, very, very yeah, good. Yeah, very mafia. familiar. Yeah, yeah. This is a game where um, two people are actually stoned, mm-hmm. and it's the goal of the sober people to try to root out who the stoned people are. It's the goal of the stoned people not to be identified. Sure. And the name forever was Secret Stoner. And then at one point, someone was like, can we beat this name? And we just put it in the Slack channel and oh, we just beat it out. And someone said, paranoia. We were just yeah, like, it's pretty oh. good. It's pretty good. Yeah. Felt so perfect. Yeah, that's that is good. But for every time you get a dropout or a paranoia, you just there's so many other things where you're like, Well, I guess we just name this such and such Yeah comedy special. Yeah. Same you know? house of fun. Yeah, yeah. You go zany all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Have you guys yeah. ever had meetings where you're like, You wonder why people subscribe and then they just like stop coming back? And then there's like a giant dropout sign above your head. <laughs> Is that like a behind the scenes? That, of your meeting? that definitely. There was there were some reservations headed up until launch um, about stuff like that. And like, oh, like, but when you drop out, like, you don't have money, you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, and we're asking people to pay for something that's premium. Yeah, but I, there's yeah. a logic to it, though. It's like it's the totally. other side of college humor right I, yeah i mean i think it's a fewfold i think it's like uh th- there's one piece which is it's a response to college humor and a response to college humor is kind of like situation mm-hmm. on youtube like mm-hmm. we're dropping out of that sitch mm-hmm. to go carve out our own destiny there's another which is kind of like the whole timothy leary thing like tune in uh oh, is it? what is it's um it, thank thank you for watching uh <laughs> So you can leave now. <laughs> you can leave now. Is that what it's called? Uh, Are we talking about the tu- Netflix it's show? tune out? It's, it's a tune t- out, turn in, drop out. Yeah, turn, turn out, tune in, drop out. Something like that. Turn on, tune in, drop out. There it is. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Which was that like seventies um, call to arms, right? Or to to basically like give up the mainstream. Yeah, you know, right. 
Um, and so is that, is that pretty much what you're focusing on a hundred percent of the time now is dropout? Yes. I, yes. I mean, I, it's funny because like I, when we started college humor, we were like a ragtag group making all of our own stuff and being very experimental and performing direct for an audience. And then like, I feel like I took that and applied it to television and as best as I could. And then that there's pieces of that experience that actually began to feel quite hollow. Mm -hmm. And now, sorry, in what ways? Why? Tell me about why. It's um, I mean, I think, I think it was a couple of things. I think it was the powerlessness of that experience. Mm -hmm. The powerlessness, I mean, wasn't just the networks. It was, you know, if, if you have the talent on one side of this equation, you have the network on the other side of this equation. Like, who am I? Like, I'm actually, I'm not just a middleman, but like my job is mediator. And that's sure. what it turned into. Like, I was literally asking constantly, this was the job. I was asking creators to sacrifice their vision for the networks. And I was asking networks to jeopardize their businesses for the talent. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's like not. Uh, it's sure, not a fun job not a, yeah yeah totally <laughs> yeah and that's just on the metaphorical level Bert, right but there's like a very tangible like you're looking at budgets you know like you're yes. looking at brass tacks and and uh, like taking that metaphor and literally having to do it in specific ways over and over and over again yeah. every single day yeah yeah and listen i love empowering creative people i mean that was the the best part of the gig is watching some of the careers that we've nourished sure. kind of flourish but if i'm ultimately not the the person to be able to say yes i'm only supporting that career so much mm -hmm. and with college humor forever we've been in the luxurious position of being able to actually like offer this talent meaningful direct exposure yeah. um yeah the idea now is to see if we can do that with much bigger types of shows. And how, um, what have you learned since you launched in developing those shows? How have things changed? Cause um, you had an incubation yeah. period that was pretty hefty, right? You yeah. guys got to think about it for a while and we did you know, it's true. build a war chest, right? Yeah. I mean the fur and I, I can say at the very least it, it has not been a disaster. Like so far, the crazy thing about this uh, is... It's, it's much better than not a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> well, when we launched, CISO had just yeah. failed. I mean, uh, full screen had just been shut down. We we were, we were had lunch, and I, you told me that you were going to do this thing, and I was like, as politely <laughs> oh, as no. I could, like, please... <laughs> oh, no. Hey, man, maybe don't. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fair. I mean, this sure. is like... You know, when we yeah. launched... Well, we Go90 like, is still around, right? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Go ninety. Guys, there's something you're not telling me. Cast watchable. A B C D. Now, basically, if oh, Orin and I yeah. had a show on uh, that network, it doesn't exist anymore. Yes. Yeah. Sure. We're pretty good at killing things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we used we, to work for this company too. called Disney. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Gone. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't heard about them. Yeah. In a while. Wait. So, but so I. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, so you're, so yeah. it it wasn't it it pretty consistently we have managed to just surpass the expectation for for how well uh this would go and an expectation is kind of arbitrary in its own right in a corporate perspective it's like a um an imagined path to profitability over mm -hmm. the course of many years mm -hmm. but it's very 
arbitrary. Even so, we're we're we've managed to to beat that plan, which is crazy. When we launched, we thought in our we didn't say this to each other, but I think in our hearts, we thought, you know what, like thirty percent chance, like this is just a complete and total catastrophe. Right, but it's still it's a different model than like what Disney or Apple or any of those big, big, big heavy hitters are doing because they're like, hey, well, what if we spent a bit like Quibi just spent a billion and a half dollars? Yes, right. And I can't imagine you guys are spending that sort of money. It's more like, hey, let's go with like a narrow yeah. sniper target. Yes, sort of. It's to be, it's to be smaller and more responsible. Right. And to answer your question, um, I mean, there's we've learned a ton like a ton and the first thing that has really surprised us is that for our audience there seems to be a certain kind of premium content agnosticism like they don't actually care if it feels like what they're watching is like premium content it just needs to be content that appeals directly to them uh, that's so you mean like if it feels expensive yes he's, he's exactly. saying they don't care they yeah. just don't care right like our but do they care that they're paying for it like as opposed to watching it on youtube well certainly they're careful about how they spend money and they'll pay for something if they feel like they want to support its creators and they want access to it um but as we've launched titles the success or you know lack of success of those titles has the amount that we spend on them has no bearing on how successful they are Oh yeah, I mean that's like kind of in in general, right? Well, well no, I mean you I, know we're talking. We you always talk about the outliers. You talk about the Game of Thrones, right? Sure. Whereas, like, I imagine that an um actually, which is a game show, yes. you guys can crank out a ton of, right? Yes. And I imagine has a pretty follow. Like, yeah, um actually great, is a great example. Yeah. You know, and and you. You know, I think we as creators, we tend to uh, hold in our esteem a certain type of show or a certain mm-hmm. type of content that we think is premium. And because it's premium, you know, our logic was will be worth paying for. Mm-hmm. Um, like we need to be associated with a certain type of premium because we're right. asking people to pay for this. It has to look and feel better. Right. Than what's on YouTube, right? Whereas your D and D show is a nice set, but people playing D and D. It is people playing D and D. It is, I think, like one of the best shows in its category. Meaning, mm-hmm. Brennan Lee Mulligan is like maybe the most talented dungeon master on the planet, and the cast of characters playing, like these are professional improvisers who are not only great at the game, they're like incredible, right, on their feet, right. But what you're watching otherwise could be shot in someone's garage and the fandom is like out of control sure my wife's cousins love love the show (laughs) like love the show um i wonder do you think that maybe the runtime is part of that also like there's a there's a logic of like oh man they were shooting this this is a 90 minute episode that feels premium maybe you know i wonder maybe we just need to broaden our definition of premium Sure, that's true. Yeah, because mm-hmm. certainly that you can feel the amount of work that goes into something like that. Right? Yes, like there's a lot of totally but thought what's, and you know training. What's interesting is like it's not clear that iTunes will take that show. Mm-hmm. The reason being that it do, it's not more premium, right? Like they look at that show and they go, "This is web content. We don't know 
if it belongs on a platform like ours, like maybe it brings our platform down mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to host that kind of content. But for a fan of the show, like, like it ain't broke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the idea, I love the idea of like a network being like, hey, we're going to, you know, this D&D thing isn't really blowing up, uh, yeah. but we're really going to spend way too much money on it. <laughs> <Right>. Totally. <laughs> totally. Or can we do this in an 11 minute episode? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So are you, what are you guys doing with the YouTube channel? Are you still supporting that and putting out original stuff there? Yeah, the first, the first, the philosophy that we embraced when we started Dropout was, something that we cutely called the more is more strategy, which we were is we were going to sell the audience on this notion that not only were they getting what they always were, they were now going to be getting even more. Um, so they were going to be getting like free episodes and clips from shows and all of the sketches Mm -hmm. that they, they, uh, usually watch. And we've kept up that cadence. Um, so we've continued to do three videos per week on YouTube and we've been releasing, you know, full episodes, clips from episodes, which is super important. It's like window shopping mm-hmm. for this YouTube audience. Right. And very slowly, but surely we're chipping away at them. So with every new preview that we post, right, we get right. a new influx of people to try drop out for the first time. Yeah. I, there's that old adage with TV. It used to be like, you can only lose audience right sure like pre-dvr right yeah this is kind of the opposite it's like you give give it away for free and then slowly people kind of snowball in totally which i think that's the problem that CISO had really it's like you can make great content a lot of CISO's content i really enjoy it yeah um but if you tuck it away behind a paywall where nobody is right how do you create word of mouth like how do you you know yeah just get people excited in the first place totally yeah so Tell me, um, what do you think the future of Dropout is? Like, what do you get now that you've yeah. learned all these things? What, what's, how are things changing? How are things evolving? Yeah. So, you know, I think it, it hasn't happened yet, but logic would dictate that at a certain point, we're going to run out of college humor viewers to win over. Mm-hmm. And at that and like point, like the YouTube college humor viewers. Yeah. YouTube, Facebook social media, anybody who like has given college humor a chance over the years is probably our most addressable audience. But then like, who do we appeal to next? And Mm -hmm. like, what is a very clear message that we can deliver to that person? Yeah. That's interesting. Cause yeah. Cause right now it's a super fan platform in a certain sense. Really? Yeah. 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 But it can't, like if you continue to grow it can't always be that so how do you explain to my parents what dropout is exactly and if you were you know let's say that you are a you know consumer of media let's say you consume media (laughs) let's say i only did it once or twice (laughs) uh what's a message that i can give you that's like oh there's something for me on this platform that i can get anywhere else Mm -hmm. and and what a lot of S VODs subscription video on demand services are doing is they're saying we just need the one show right. for Hulu. It's handmaid's tale for Netflix. Maybe it's stranger things or another show for you. Right. Um, you know, for yeah. Amazon, it was flea bag. It's not the free shipping. I swear. I, swear. <laughs> I don't even use the free shipping. <laughs> flea bag is really good. It's really, it's really, 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 really great. 
Um, and we ultimately, like, we don't think that that is our model. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't think our model is gamble millions of dollars, you know, see mm-hmm. if we can get that one hit show, 10 episodes a year, bring people back to the platform. Like, could it think. be like a celebrity, like, I mean, a horrible example, but you yes. have like a Kim Kardashian show or something like in Kanye, like that people, you know, she has like <laughs> such an insanely yeah. giant audience in the world. Yes. And this is the only place you can get more of her type of. I mean, you, you could totally do the thing, like you could find the person who you think is going to bring the qualified audience, but you still got to figure out what it is exactly that you stand for. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we've been doing over the course of the last year is like, it's been really like a search for identity at the same time as we've been creating this business. Are you, are you allowed to tell us which of your shows has like pulled in the most new viewers? Sure. Um, what the fuck 101? which is our animated oh, that's show funny. yeah, has pulled in more viewers than any other show. And what's that about? It's uh it's an adult magic school bus in which a detention teacher is taking her students on lessons of like fucked up learning. Um, it's like all the most fucked up things about our university you can imagine all of them true. Right. So right. do an episode on like parasites on failed mm-hmm. military experiments um, so it's got the Adam ruins everything component, right. but it's all animated and it's like way more R rated. Right. Um, right. And, and you put the first the episode Zenny. on YouTube. We put the first episode on YouTube and we put subsequent clips on YouTube. Right. Yeah. You kind of, you're snippeting things out. Yeah. Um, so I was going to get to there. There's a super fan aspect of it. Like we, that we touched on before, but an interesting part of it is that you're, talent base is so exclusively college humor mm. right so like my favorite show on dropout i mentioned to you before and i think was an endorsement is uh, mm. total forgiveness right mm. and i think that i love that show it's so good endorsement of yours like, yeah, yeah. On, this, like, like, on the podcast yeah yeah like like he mentioned dope. it like yeah. six months ago i'm That's not awesome. joking i fucking love that show <laughs> but i i think that it's it, I have maybe a slightly more extreme uh, emotional response to it than like, I think your most avid viewers like, Oh, everybody feels like they know Grant or they know Allie. Sure. And like, whether that's literally true or not, you know, like there's an attachment that you feel right. And yeah. I think that that's specific to YouTube channels and social media and all that. That's part of totally. it. It's a different ecosystem than, yeah. than television. But so that kind of gives you a very, like as soon as someone starts making a TV show or something like that, if like Grant went and got a TV show, all of a sudden he couldn't be available for all of the dropout and yeah. YouTube aspects of it, right? So like, and it would feel maybe strange if you got Kim Kardashian or, you know, a more college humor. Oh, we definitely grapple you know, with that. Right. Like yeah. how do you... Like Kim's even, come to you a bunch of times. Oh my, like so yeah. thirsty to work with us. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, if you were to, let's just take a very, like, sensible example, sure. right? Like, if you were to take someone like Jordan Peele, Perfect. you would say, like, yeah. you have Jordan Peele. He's going to be, like, the the face of your network now. Mm-hmm. It would be like, well, what about all the faces that are already on our network? Right. Like, these are the right. people who our audience loves and identifies The reason with. they're subscribing is because they love those people. Right. 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 Well, and there people, is an example yeah. of this model that's worked really well before, right? Which is Rooster Teeth. Yes. Sure. Um, so Rooster that, Teeth, probably more so than any other company, I would say is the company that 
we share the most DNA with. Mm-hmm. It's right. it's sort of you did the twenty three and Me test. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We did twenty three and Me, and it and it came back, and we were sixty percent rooster teeth, ten percent funny or die, twenty five percent cracked HGTV, five percent the idea. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, and and I think the question is sort of the same question that Rooster Teeth is asking, mm-hmm. you know, with what they're doing with their subscription platform, which is sort of like, can they go from what they are today to like next generation Adult Swim mm-hmm. or like next right. generation MTV is actually, I think, what the boomers sure. like to say. And I yeah. think Adult Swim is like kind of what we like to say. Right. Yeah. Well, can I bring up and just, I'm just talking out loud or thinking out loud here, but like you look at a Netflix and if there's like a really bad show on there that a bunch of people hate, people that love Stranger Things and there's a new show that's supposed yeah. to be like Stranger Things and they see it and they're like, oh, this sucks. They wouldn't like cancel Netflix, but you could see if Rooster Teeth had like two or three shows that just totally missed the mark, people yeah. would be like, Rooster Teeth lost it, you know, mm-hmm. be- because they're so precious about their brand and their voice and their dna is that like a thing is it preciousness or is it just volume is it just that there's enough things to to flip through well but yeah there's similar things right because you're saying we want to expand dropout to be to have everyone well i drop out i actually agree with both of you because people do say netflix has lost it but it doesn't matter because there's so much right. volume. Yeah, I canceled Netflix for a month. And I was like, well, this is stupid. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I tried to, to juggle them because I yeah. have like all of them and that feels dumb. Yeah. Well, this, I mean, this is actually why I think is we're headed toward this like unbundling that's occurring in TV. Like you will subscribe to multiple things is because while Netflix, Netflix isn't competing with any other TV network. They're competing with TV, period. Mm-hmm. They want to replace your cable box. But like HBO has like a voice and you're going to subscribe for like the prestige content Mm -hmm. that HBO goes after. Um, Disney is going to be like a totally different utility. It's going to be like, do you want kids programming in your Marvel movies? Like here you are. This is all before it'll get rebundled in some way, shape or form probably. (laughs) Or like Disney, Apple, Netflix, HBO, like Hulu. These will be the new NBC ABC, CBS, right? You know, like we're seeing right. a complete. Wait, is your are you saying there's going to be a new company, like a new spectrum that's like, hey, for twenty nine ninety nine a month, you'll get Netflix, Hulu. The the theory Disney. is that that will happen eventually. I I don't know if it will happen anytime soon, right? And I th- I think th- I think though it will though because if I think if you look at like Prime is my favorite example. I subscribed to CISO yeah. and didn't have a show on the that sure. network, um, and I did so because. I used my PlayStation and watched everything through Prime and it would be like, hey, for two bucks more a month or whatever it was, yeah. you can get all the CISO. And then it's, totally. it's integrated into everything else that I was watching. So convenience. Right. Yeah. So, oh, so like that, same menu when you're searching and everything. It, it maybe was sectioned out a little bit the same way I think Showtime and Stars are now across all of those bundles. But yeah. I, I bet that your maybe not Netflix, but Hulu, Amazon Prime, the kind of more broad style streamers i bet you'll be able to just kind of like tack on a la carte totally and i think then i think you can if you're thinking of dropout in the world in the ecosystem of those other streamers then you can see it right next to comedy central and fs fxx and all of those you know so it's kind of just like 
maybe you visualizing it in that way maybe helps sculpt uh, yeah i think that that's the bit, you know i mean and i think we're close like we're you know apple for instance just announced that in their kind of reboot of apple tv not only are they creating originals but you're going to be able to subscribe to any number of channels mm-hmm. using apple tv and it'll be like a two or three click process to do that like an nbc and an hbo you mean um maybe not nbc but anything that makes itself available on a subscription basis so nbc actually just announced that they are doing this so yes nbc eventually hbo um whatever else shutter acorn right world of wonder i'm a huge drag fan (laughs) right Oh, I, I wasn't sure what World of Wonder was. Is that like it's the, RuPaul's, RuPaul's production gotcha. company? Cool, smart. Um, so, Wow Presents, I think, is the name of the subscription service. Um, so, yeah, if it's just clicks away, right? You know, I think there are a few companies kind of going in that direction. I think that's the future. Yeah, yeah. Um, or even, I mean, if I was running Dropout, yeah, uh, give me. <laughs> like you could. This is a bad example because they're not the dna doesn't overlap as much but i would like reach out to masterclass or something and say like hey what if you say for an extra two dollars a month if you subscribe to masterclass you could get dropout and we'll do the same with masterclass Mm -hmm. and we'll start feeding each other so we are not talking to masterclass and i can't tell you who we're talking to Mm -hmm. but we are exploring stuff like that yeah slave class it's a much better class. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would. There's this one. I was thinking who my Kim Kardashian was like, who if they had a show, I would subscribe to their service, their platform, no matter just what. for that show. Yeah, sure. Who do, do you think it is? Do, who do you think it is, man? Boy, I don't know that I have anybody. No, who do you think my guy oh, is? Oh, yours? Andrew Kramer. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew Kramer? Andrew Kramer. Andrew Kramer. The best um, VFX tutorial <laughs> maker in the world. The wow. J.J. Abrams pretty much snatched up Has and he, he doesn't make tutorials anymore. because No? He's working on like Star Trek and Star Wars and all these dumb movies. Has he done a masterclass? He hasn't done a mas- masterclass, but his website is a masterclass on visual effects. Wow. Um, yeah, he's been cool. doing them for free basically forever. Yeah. But, like if you go over to the College Humor editing bay and are like, yeah. Andrew Kramer, right guys? They'll be like, yeah, dude. <laughs> I got started. <laughs> after I'm going to try this. I'll let you I know. guarantee it'll work. I'm yeah, he's the certain. biggest celebrity in that world, but he, everyone's really frustrated with him because he puts out like one tutorial every six months now because he's so busy. Huh. But if he had like his own platform and he had like his guest people and it was like five bucks a month and you would get a new tutorial every other day or something. I mean, yeah. how is that different from Patreon though, right? Like, I think that's the other sort of model that we're talking well, about. Well, there is if no in- Andrew Kramer equivalent on Patreon. There's like close, there's people that are, kind of okay but he's like this kind of perfect mix of dad jokes and vfx tutorials what do you guys think of patreon are you a fan yeah i mean we have one patreon.com slash just shoot a pod um i like it very much (laughs) though (laughs) shameless (laughs) yeah exactly um we have a very specific philosophy on it though because Mm -hmm. we are not giving extra content away Mm -hmm. and it's because i like we don't want to do if the mission statement of the show is anyone can direct then sure. making putting that behind a paywall doesn't make sense on sure. a philosophical or ethical level so yeah. it's just like hey if you've got some cash and you want to buy us a coffee once a month or like 
That's really very nice. Buy our editor a coffee once a month. Really. Right. <laughs> it's almost like if you feel like you've gotten something from us yeah. and feel like giving back. I mean, I my philosophy on it is like a slightly different than Matt's, which is I think part of the reason people tune into the show is because we are not full time podcasters or interviewers. Yeah, we're right. like we yeah. work in the film industry. Right. Um, and if we were to start making content for our Patreon subscribers, it would really yeah. it would eat into our the balance. working yeah. in the film industry. Yeah. And then no matter how much we like podcasting, if we, it would be less valuable for us to do it full time. Sure. But also we'd be less legitimate as representatives of like film industry people. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Uh, sure. But yeah, but I, I love it. I was really confused by it at first because yeah. I didn't understand why anyone would do it, but now i don't know i get it. i mean now i support other you know yeah i'm a patron for other things because literally it's out of a fear that what like what happened to andrew kramer is that he got so busy and he's not making these videos i love anymore yes. i don't want that to happen to other creators so i, I want to give him like a couple bucks a month yeah. but, who do you support on patreon um there's this guy captain disillusionment yep captain uh he's he's probably my favorite um i think that might be the only one right now but i uh support our patreon yeah that's great my wife's a patron <laughs> yeah that's right i just found out about this podcast patreon but i'm gonna go become a supporter oh, after thanks, this episode yeah. if you sign up at the ten dollar level you'll get a just shoot a pod hat i definitely won't don't do that <laughs> yeah i would honestly i'd rather have more people at just like a buck or four those are my two favorite numbers sure because Matt, Matt, you're gonna offend our ten dollars <laughs> I, I love the ten dollars <laughs> subscribers too Sorry. thank you so much i will much, also everyone. redo my part i'm going to is there's one above 10 <laughs> i'm gonna go for that we have a couple 20s is. yeah um, um yeah no but it, it's yeah it's cool but at ten dollars you do get a hat yeah we just ran out of hats and we're gonna, we're get, gonna get new ones. we're gonna get more um sam i want to talk about how you feel about everything Mm. are you done mm. <laughs> everything mm-hmm. Fe- feel about dropout and because sure we were talking before uh we started rolling about how one of the main themes of this show is just kind of like reassessing what you want totally. right i think that the first decision i think for many filmmakers after they really learn what it is, is like, oh, do I want to keep doing this? Yes. And do I want to be a director or do I want to be a DP or an editor? Like you learn more and more about the opportunities of how totally. to be an artist and express yourself and also make money. And and I just want to remind people that might not have listened to our 44th episode that you were on, um, that you started out as a writer, director, actor, performer. It's right? true. Um, and you, it, at some point, a long time ago realized that that was like not the be all end all of what you wanted to do. Right? Totally. Totally. I mean, actually I would go even further than that. And I would say, I mean, it's a great introduction to this premise, but that anything that I've achieved in this career, it's been with some settling. Mm-hmm. Like I got in into it to be an actor. That's really what I wanted to do. And at a certain point when I saw the odds were stacked so against me, I made the concession yeah, and became rather, a director. I'd rather build a Forbes 500 or a Fortune 500. <laughs> Which is like hardly a concession to become a director. Sure, yeah. But right. it was really about like, I want a creative career. I know that's challenging. But directors are much more in control of their career than actors. I think that's true. Um, producers are even more in yeah. control of their career sure. than uh, directors are. And executives. I mean, well, you know. Right. Like, me, how do you describe yourself, actually? What, like, what you? What do I say I do? What do you do right now? Yeah, I call myself a creative executive. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's which is right. yeah. I mean, my title is chief creative officer, so that's about right. Right. Um, so I have other tools in my tool belt. They're just not my job title. Sure. Well, and also I think that excludes the fact that you'll be in sketches every once in a while sure. and direct a series when it makes sense. Yeah. You know. Um. Totally. So you won. Is what we're saying. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> it's no, not in the slightest. I um, I mean, what's interesting is, you know, we were making these videos for College Humor. It was going well. At a certain point, it, we were like, kind of a muscle outgrowing its arm back in New York, in the mm-hmm. sense that we wanted to do videos that were way more expensive than the internet was ever going to allow. We did some of those videos, and it was really fun. So fun, yeah. Um, but it was like, if we're going to make this sustainable, it's TV. And everyone around me was saying TV and some of my peers were going to TV. And so it felt like this very obvious signal that I needed to get into TV. And so we did, like I said, I think it's a combination of my role in it, Mm -hmm. but also just the process felt like sacrifice. I'd been so spoiled Mm -hmm. because I had had years and years of being in the conductor's seat. Right. That when we were finally negotiating with networks, it, it, became more of a slog. And then I had to start asking myself some really difficult questions of like, well, for all intents and purposes, we're successful. It's just Mm -hmm. that I'm miserable. Sure. Yeah. And it's as funny. I was listening to a podcast the other day. um, uh, 99% visible was interviewing the guy who does the Anthropocene review, which is an awesome podcast. Oh no, I don't You've never listened to it. Um, I'm forgetting his name, the host name off the top of my head, but um, it's the same guy who wrote The Fault in Our Stars. Oh. Really interesting dude. Jonathan. John John Green? Yes, yeah, yeah. John Green. So John Green was saying, so I'm stealing his anecdote, but there's this joke about a moth that goes into a doctor's office. And the moth says, you know, Doc, I, you know, my life is just falling apart. Like my wife... She she left me and uh, she's with another man now and my son is married to this horrible woman and every time I like see him I just see my own failures and you know my daughter has run away from home and the doctor says uh, moth you know I appreciate all that but but I'm a podiatrist like why would you come into my office and the moth says well the light was on <laughs> and he uses this joke as a means of saying like we have a tendency to go where the lights on mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. to just chase after opportunity yeah sure and when i reached the like when i could have been defined as successful and yet was unhappy that was like an incredibly crushing sure. moment yeah or yeah. like the light took me as far as it was gonna take me which i think is like it's such a specific situation for you but is so broadly applicable to any artistic endeavor right like i think we've all been in those situations where you achieve that goal and then you're like well why did i want to do this in the first place like yeah it's also very common for jewish people i have a a friend (laughs) who is uh who's not raised jewish though i believe he is jewish with his mom converted to christianity and he told me his observation about jewish people was no matter how successful they are they always seem disappointed (laughs) Yeah, totally. Uh, That's very funny, and probably cultural. I mean, like my, but but it's true of uh, of most creative people. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that both of you identify with this. I've got a part of me that's like very creative and very sensitive and very artistic, and then another part of me that's just pure raging ambition. Sure. Yeah. And to try to, like, 
one side or the other will win out depending on what the situation is. And sometimes those impulses really work together well, right? Sometimes it's perfect. And sometimes I think when things are going, I can say personally, when things are not going the way I want them to, then that ambition just sort of blinds you and that sensitivity triggers some depression. And then then it's just a spiral, you know what I mean? Then you're like, well, what am I even doing? Totally. And, but it's also the same set of impulses that got me as far as it has, you know? (laughs) Right. Right. You can always say that you're like, you know, this is a really messed up chemistry. It's like nuclear. Uh, it's like, it's like, uh, nuclear physics. It's like, we really shouldn't have these power plants. (laughs) Like this is like totally unstable, but it's also supplying power. Good. Um, let me ask you what like gets you more excited personally having like a million views on like episode two of a show on dropout or seeing an Adam billboard on sunset Boulevard, <laughs> like all like profits and money aside, make it 10 million views to like a, like a hit you get, you see a million views on something all the time. Well, you know but I mean? a million views on YouTube is probably oh, sure, equivalent sure, sure. I guess to like relative to 20,000 sure, views sure. on drop. I yeah. imagine the, the sure. YouTube, I mean, even our, we have a podcast. No need to quibble. A hit, <laughs> a hit on dropout versus a billboard. It all depends yeah. where your chips are at that particular moment, right? Like, well, I guess I'm wondering which one to... is the light that the moth is drawn to. It's the billboard. Right? I well, here I'm. I think the I think the light's drawn to the billboard. I think, or I the billboard is the light, and I am the moth drawn to it. Right. Like I think, I have had to re-educate myself in the type of thing that's going to make me happy, and dropout has been like a big step in the right direction for me because I've gotten to chase after the types of projects that I believe in and do them more so on my own terms. But what's interesting is I think in my career, I'm actually regressing. And if I had to guess, I would say I will only regress further. (laughs) Like (laughs) I've been doing these like really weird dance videos on social media that it's just me and a cell phone. And I've, I've been um, playing around a lot on TikTok. Oh yeah. Um, and like that, like the first dance video I posted got a lot of pickup and watching that pickup of my really, really like aggressively stupid dance video was actually more exciting than an Adam billboard. Do you think that has to do with the primal fact that it's your face and that the recognition? That I always wanted to be an actor. <laughs> well, or, or just like... I, I think when it's your face and then you see the like ticker go up. Sure. That's, you know, I call that the refreshies, right? Like you just, there's a real high off of just that sure. aspect sure. of it, right? Like if your face were on the billboard and someone had tweeted out like, I can't believe Sam's got a billboard and retweet, retweet, sure. retweet. Sure. Do you think it would be more it apples part. to apples? Truthfully, I think that if that were me, like if I were on the Adam billboard, and people do get us confused sometimes because we look like uh, brothers or cousins. You keep ruining things. Uh, It would be pegged to a lot of Jewish um, anxiety. Uh Like, I also have this like Icarus fear, which is sort of like, but what, what amount of attention is like too much attention? And like, can I rise to these expectations or... And there's something I've always loved about the internet, which is that generally speaking, this isn't universally true. You are as good as your best work mm-hmm. and your bad work disappears. And that is not true of television. 
mm-hmm. in other oh, words in television it's more your last work right like right. your most recent your most job. recent work or like if you have you know i don't say this to scare anybody but if you are a young director given a shot at a major motion picture and a studio spends 35 million dollars on you sure and that's a total disaster it will be very hard for you to work again yeah it, that's called the if you tranked it sure yeah sure josh, josh tranked it yeah um okay. or even scarier if it just opens second sure like if you just opened against a huge movie right there's you know nothing you can do about it child's play versus toy story 4 yeah you know yeah which is why again i just like love there's something about the internet and the amount of control mm-hmm. that you have over it yeah well it's funny i mean i just two thoughts real quick and then we should probably start wrapping up but uh one is like that billboard to me like when you set out like on day one when you want to work in film whether it's as an, as an actor or whatever you to in your mind a billboard of your thing on sunset boulevard is probably like some sort of marker in yeah. the same way that we have so many filmmakers on that are like i just wanted my movie in the theater even though everyone yeah. knows no one's gonna see it mm-hmm. and it's gonna lose money mm-hmm. they just like want it on the big screen for yeah. no reason right when on netflix or whatever people a billion more people will see it yeah um, we i and it's funny i would tie that back into this notion of like we as um as creators we tend to value certain things certain screens sure certain budgets more than the audience does in practicality like they are um they are agnostic mm-hmm. you know yeah i think also orin always teases me about referencing my parents on this show yeah but i think that they're it I use them as the symbol of what traditional mainstream recognition is, right? So if they have heard of the thing, then that means a lot more than... Totally. You know, like there are plenty of things where I've done name brand shows... Yes. ...that they are very excited about that don't get half as many viewers as a college humor sketch. It's really interesting, right? I actually had a good friend um, say to me at one point, Who's who's been very successful? That the reason why he was so hell bent on television was because of his his parents would recognize him as successful. Yeah, which I think is dangerous because the technology is developing so rapidly. Yeah, that what your parents think of as successful will be just like more and more irrelevant. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it barely counts now. Yeah, but I I guess I just had this uh, eureka moment right now that like almost everyone that goes into this industry is doing so against their parents' will. Yeah. And it, my so, parents were fine with it. It's more that the things that we fell in love with just are outdated now. Sure. You know, like you sure. couldn't be like, I want to be a YouTuber because YouTube hadn't been invented when sure. we were kids. Well, but this, I think, I the think the second half of my Eureka yes. moment, sorry for Matt interrupting me. Is <laughs> <laughs> it the dynamic of the podcast? Is that, <laughs> is that, uh, is that, uh, is that the ultimate win in this in, in this business is if your parents realize they were wrong yeah about, about your totally. career path this so. is actually <laughs> we'll uh, see if that ever happens this is 100 percent true every time i've done psychedelic mushrooms i have come to the realization that i'm trying to prove something to someone and if and if i could just stop just stop yeah. i would be so much better off it's like yeah you're right so many parents say whatever you do don't don't go into this industry and then like if you can just get on like 
you know, if you can win an Academy Award, and sure. shove it in their face. Yeah. But th- do you think, though, that then you lose that thing, that hunger? Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. if you could let it go, maybe you'd be happier. Right. But is that a thing that helps drive you? I. That's a great question. I would rather be driven by something different. Sure. I don't think that that's the only type of fuel, mm-hmm. the only type of resource that we have to spend. I will say that as I have become happier and more successful and my jealousy of my peers has mm. lessened, waned, I am uh, less ambitious. That's interesting. Like I used to, like when I was, you know, at Comedy Central and I would watch other directors get to do their thing. Yeah. I'd wake up at five every morning and write. Yeah. And now it's like, well, you know, what time's my call time? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm a director. I don't need to be there. I lost my edge trucks. is what I'm saying. Do, what's yeah. your relationship to that? To ambition? As you have gotten older, have you become more, is have you become more or less comfortable with yourself and therefore more or less ambitious? Well, you know, I... Orrin has other things to live for. (laughs) (laughs) I go back and forth a lot. I talked about this on the last episode that like, I think I would be equally happy producing or co-directing or being Mm -hmm. like involved in a project um, as I would be direct. I mean, I love directing. That's like my favorite thing, but it, it, it is kind of exhausting and, and uh, I've pitched a lot on things that I didn't get. And it's like, it, it would be nice to be a little bit more in control sometimes. Sure. Know, uh, sure. Despite what I just said about directors being more control than actors. Yeah. Um, so, so knowing that like what I'm striving for is like this moving target yeah. gets exhausting after like 15 years. Sure. Uh, it, but that said, I mean, I've, I feel like we hear this on the podcast all the time. It's like people that just fail and fail and fail. And then they try a new thing. We had this director, Maggie Kylie on the podcast. She like made features. She like went through director's workshop for women, all these different things and nothing yeah. happened. She pretty much gave up. And then the last thing she applied for, like after she was like a seasoned filmmaker, yeah. was like the Ryan Murphy program. Yeah. And now she's like directing TV like every single yeah, day. She's like, I think so, half of Sabrina is hers at this point. Yeah. Wow. So that's, I just applied to this Disney launchpad program thing today yeah Yeah. which is like for discovering new filmmakers because yeah i feel like i was just talking to my wife about this today is like we 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 get so jaded we get to i think everyone gets in their career to a place where they're like well i'm no longer taking those projects those types Mm. of projects that's too small or this too big or that acting or that script too bad or whatever and like i think it's just like this like sine wave of like Mm. being on a high and then being on a low and and trying something new. And if you don't keep on trying new things, then you just, yeah, you get, you lose your ambition and you just kind of sure. stop. So that's I, why I, I think in the podcast, like a lot of what I get out of it personally is like, I hear new people's perspectives sure, sure, on yeah. how they pitch <clears throat> or how they write or what excites right. them. And I try to, you know, kind of, um, steal it. Yeah. Yeah. Dra- Siphon it off. Draft <laughs> off of it. Sure. I, yeah. I, I think when I'm in a better spot, I'm, inspired by a creative curiosity like if i i'm sure that you will both identify with this you sometimes just get like an idea like a like a visual in your mind for something that could be that you could make and then the question is like will this work and if i make it will anyone relate to it or identify with it or like it 
And if I'm at my best, I'm in that mode versus the I'm building a career right. mode. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I mean, I think we all go back and forth between like having ideas and being excited about them and then seeing something similar to them and then being like, ah, forget it. Uh, and then you see someone else did another thing that's similar and it's like a giant hit. Right. And so, yeah, it's just fighting self-doubt, I think, is like this entire career. Do you find, Sam, that because you have the rock of your college humor career that you feel like you have more bandwidth to like make a silly dance video and like probably let that be the thing? Yeah, probably. I mean, it's I definitely would acknowledge that it's coming from a place of some privilege because <laughs> I have that to be able to to lean on. But I'm also very likely to be insecure about that. Sure. Like college yeah. humor. So what? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, and also college humor is not me. Like my mm-hmm. face mm-hmm. isn't a part of that. Right. Um, as much, you know, um, but I do, I am coming, I have a little bit of like middle-aged dad, uh, tinkering out in the garage right now. Yeah. Where I'm, I'm just like, I would love a garage. Yeah. Like, yeah. so what? Yeah. You know? just, let's try some shit. Yeah. 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 Check out I was this trying cool to build, table I just refinished. <laughs> I was trying to build a balance beam for my daughter. <laughs> yeah. And Kara's like, you can buy them for 60 bucks on Amazon as I'm holding like $170 <laughs> worth of materials at Home Depot. <laughs> It's fine. Yeah. Where's the pleasure in the Amazon purchase? Um, Do you think that like the success of your parents has anything to do with like your ambition or where the end goal is, you know? Because like I think obviously your dad fairly well known and Matt always talks about how his parents were like middle school teachers or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Teachers. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like I, I wonder if that just tying it back to like the proving to your parents that no, you're valuable. Totally. totally. I'm for a while there. It was like, unless I outdo my father in my chosen profession, I won't have like fulfilled some mm-hmm. sort of destiny. And again, you just do mushrooms enough times. And you're like, what the <laughs> hell am I talking about? Oh, who's that good. Who's, <laughs> who am I, who am I proving this to? Like my dad just wants me to be happy. Everyone else probably doesn't, yeah, give they're a not, shit one they're way not or keeping the other. track. Yeah. Like literally I need to be able to survive and um like be regularly very creative. Mm-hmm. Like those are my standards for success. Right? Yeah. Well, for the record, I think it's much harder to be the most famous person in the entertainment business than it is in the economics business. I'll settle for um viral dance videos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Evolution of Sam. Um well, Sam, this has been great. Um, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, man. Can we uh, hop into some unpaid endorsements? Let's do it. Yeah. Unpaid endorsements. Just a couple of things. I watched Euphoria last night, the pilot. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I'd seen like mixed reviews online and stuff, so I didn't quite know. Somebody had posted that they like loved the second episode, like one of the best things they'd ever seen, a friend of mine on Facebook. So I watched the pilot last night, and I loved it. I thought nice. it was so good. It reminded me kind of of like that the British skins yeah. kind of like um, Requiem for a Dream and I don't know just Whoa. but also it's totally its own thing and Zendaya is like the, the lead actress and she's just like so good and the cinematography is crazy and the visual effects it was just really good um, and I was and the performances it's basically all these teenagers like talking about sex in a way that feels very real like 
so real that if I was directing it and I was in the room, I'd feel like uncomfortable that I'm in the room listening to these teenagers talk about this stuff because it felt so real, but also like hyper stylized the same way. Yeah, the stylization stuff has got me intrigued. Yeah, so it's stylized like visually, but also it's like the characters, like real teenagers don't go to parties and have sex and do drugs like 24-7, you know, like they do in this show, but it's still... Feel the performances are so good, and other than Zendaya, I don't know any of the actors, so it's not like famous, yeah. yes, super famous actors. And at the end of the episode, I was like, Who the hell directed this? And it was Augustine Frizzell who had been on our podcast. And like, once I saw that, she, she was di- like, Yeah, I'm working on this thing for HBO, yeah. <laughs> and once I and we watched her movie, Never Going Back, right? Yeah. Is that what it's yeah. called? Like, you see, you, yeah, yeah, it's like so obvious why she directed this pilot yes her feature is about it's like a much kind of simpler story but it's just about two teenage girls that are best friends and want to get out of town yeah (laughs) like like to party yeah and have a great relationship yeah and it's like kind of like a slice of life type of movie um but the connective tissue but their performances just feel again like hyper real but also like hyper unreal i don't know so I was just, I just thought it was like a perfect example of like a voice and a director bringing, and she didn't write the script or create the show or anything, but how she brought something special to that pilot. And it's so hard to figure out as a director, like what you are contributing, you know, as opposed to like just trying to not fuck up like someone else's script. (laughs) Totally. I was reading, there was an article that was written about the show. I haven't seen it. I I want to. Um, And you're selling me further on it. But that said that actually teenagers are like ha- having less sex and doing less drugs than mm-hmm. like ever before in 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, I feel like I've heard that as well. They're yeah. substituting. I think the drugs nowadays are your phone. Yes. Right. And the sex is probably just pornography. Sure. Yeah. There you um, go. <laughs> but, but it's kind of like it's turning into demolition, man, where it's like yeah. no one actually needs to like be in the same room to like have any any of those experiences Boy, yeah. as a kid what a what a letdown yeah do you remember it's like oh man this is gonna be a good i can't believe my parents are letting me scene. watch this movie and then yeah. they just put on helmets and they're like oh that was great i remember yeah. it as what a happened kid. to that sandy bullock yeah right uh um, sam what you got me next yeah yeah i like to put the guest in the middle Ooh, speaking oh, of i've never yeah. noticed that but you know yeah. only 176 <laughs> episodes <laughs> Um, mine is going to be TikTok. Oh yeah. Has anyone done TikTok before? So yes. after we sat down, I spent, I don't know, like an hour or two. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, this is so much. Yes. And it's, it genuinely made me a little scared because I yep. was like, you could just watch this forever. Yes. I, has, has TikTok been an unpaid endorsement yes, by another Shit. creative executive? That's okay. No, I'm, I'm all Akel. for the double down though. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's interesting about it, it is totally the rebirth of Vine, more or less. It was Musical.ly, and then Musical.ly got bought by TikTok, which was a big company overseas, and they've just like brought it over here in a big way. And it's based on this notion of like they have a giant music catalog, and mm-hmm. you can make anything, uh, make any sort of video, be a soundtrack or or as a visual to that soundtrack. Um, but the ways that people are using it are so creative. And they're all doing it just using their phones and the tools and the app. And I genuinely think some of the funniest 
short form videos that I've ever seen in my life have been in the last like three months on TikTok. Yeah. I think they've made it crazy clever stuff too, right? Yeah. I think they've made it so accessible that they've literally like brought the tools Mm -hmm. to an entire generation of like teenagers with nothing else to do. Right. And also the drive for social capital. Yeah. Like the only thing that's important as a teenager is being cool. Yeah. So like getting a lot of views on your TikTok video. What do you call them? TikToks? Views. Talk views. Yeah. Views and hearts. But what's the, the video object is? Oh, is it TikTok? Is it TikTok? Yeah. yeah. So getting likes on that TikTok yeah. is the coolest thing you can do. That's yes. cooler than driving a cool car or whatever. Yeah. yeah but what's right? interesting about TikTok it's like the unfacebook because it has like zero to do with your friend network, right? And it's like yes. part of their algorithm is about just like spreading these like catchy ideas to people. And it doesn't yes. like as soon as you start, even if you have no friends, you're starting to see yeah. things from people and interacting with them or remaking their videos, yes. right? And, and it's very, I mean, while, I mean, it's, it's everything that this generation is so sometimes it's edgy and offensive but it's also incredibly progressive like there's like such heavy diversity on the platform um and, and like, like really emotional videos right in the middle of you can go down nonsense. like any rabbit hole you want but there's like incredible creativity there's like people who are just absolutely brilliant at makeup there's people who are like showing off that they're like a year sober mm-hmm. and then there's people playing essentially what are ucb like comedy games right like a a meme meets a song so everybody playing this sort of like same game with this song and people then like one-upping that game and then like forking off of that game it's like it's genuinely an evolution of comedy and i think it's replacing like sketch do you think everything kind of you know do you think if you ever run for political office anything you put on tiktok will uh end your I think that Career. that option is long <laughs> in my shadow. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, sorry to hear that. <laughs> there goes my write-in nomination. <laughs> you can write it whatever you yeah. want, buddy. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There you go. Sam's like, uh, I mean, you can, you can still yeah, nominate. Yeah, yeah. It's only 23 I, candidates. I didn't say I didn't not want to beat my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Matt, you got anything? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's kind of similar to yours. Have you guys watched Legion? You, yeah, uh, FX show. Yeah, I watched the first two seasons of it, and I haven't started season three. So those season three posters are so good. So I was good. like, oh, I'm gonna give this a shot. Yeah, and the, also this is it's the perfect category of a show my wife probably won't like. Yeah, and so that may if I don't if she's out doing something. That's a very narrow number of shows that I have. Sure. Rick and Morty isn't back yet. So I was like, what am I going to do? Um, so I started it. It's great in it's ways wild. I did not expect. And so we had um, a director named Sarah Adina Smith on, and I'd seen her feature, uh, Buster's Mal Heart, which was like psychedelic and weird and really out there. And I was like, oh, she's done some episodes of Legion. Huh. That doesn't make sense to me. Sure. And then I saw an episode <laughs> and was, I was like, oh, <laughs> of course. In the same way that Augustine doing Euphoria, I was like, of course, yeah. Sarah has done episodes of the show. It's really psychedelic. They're not super worried about telling a really concise or tight story. They're playing with 
time and you know memory and false narratives and all sorts of cool psychedelic stuff it's crazy that it's a tv show well that's kind of like it's the wild. theme of the show i think noah howley right yes he made the yeah. show the same way i did fargo um i think he told his like writing staff and the directors and everything that like uh i forget the word he used but there's some word that is like like the the heart of the show and it's something along the lines of confusion <laughs> like mm-hmm. yeah um like that's what he's going for like if something like if a then b like then we should never show b after a you know yeah um, it's a my reaction was very similar to the first season which was like i can't believe that anyone would allow this on television because yeah. it feels like i'm watching a superhero story but told through the lens of like a really talented like sba film student yeah definitely yeah and like i i would just like i don't even know if i love it i just know that i'm like so glad it exists <laughs> yeah, because totally. it feels literally like there's a collection of data points all gathered on one end of a piece of graph paper and legions on the opposite side of that right. same sheet of right. paper. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just another reminder that like TV isn't where indie film is really flourishing basically for what it's worth on paper. That would be my absolute favorite show, but I don't really like, you it. don't connect to it. Yeah. Makes sense. I, huh. I find it. It's funny. I saw that. Have you guys seen the movie? Um, with Selena Gomez, Spring Oh Spring Breakers. Spring Breakers. Sure. Um, when I went to see that movie, Harmony Corinne, it was at the ArcLight. He happened to be at the theater and he did an intro and he said, Hey, before you watch this, I'm gonna give you one piece of advice, which is like, don't try to like sit there and figure out why everything is happening. Just like let it wash over you. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed that movie, and I think it's because he gave that piece of advice. Hmm. No one gave me that advice about Legion, and I just like watched it with my wife, and we were just constantly like unsure of what meant what and you know you watch things at night sometimes there you miss are a couple moments things. Where you're like, could you guys just talk about this just somebody right. let me just bring this thing up to yes. each other and then i think things will be a lot clearer but what's interesting i just watched good omens on, on no, amazon and like that. a lot of people are talking about the show um i didn't Neil like Gaiman, it at all right? oh you disliked it oh interesting yeah. Yeah. and it's cra- it's similarly crazy in the sense that the plot is so wild that there are zero stakes like mm-hmm. anything can happen and anything does so why should i be in suspense about what's going to happen next right right but legion for me gets away with it because i'm so interested in the filmmaking that's interesting so uh not to go too far down a tangent but my wife doesn't really care about neil gaiman or terry pratchett at all so so the thing of like what's impressive about good omens is that they do kind of like these like literate backflips you know it's like we're pulling from this mythology and that mythology and like the dialogue is so clever and like isn't this quippy and fun and she's just not charmed by it at all <laughs> which yeah, is kind of what you're my saying. wife is with edgar right like yeah. I, after huh. we saw the end of the world or is that what it's called the uh, bar at the end of the yes yeah after at the end I, I looked at my wife i was like i thought i could feel the electricity between us enjoying the movie so much and i was yeah. like that was the most cleverly yes. written movie i've ever seen in my life and she was like i did not like it yeah <laughs> She's wrong. If that makes you, uh, if she's still here. Uh, <laughs> she moved she out like, twenty yeah. minutes ago. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So I mean, I, look, different strokes, but I think it's yeah. like it's an interesting thing to be like, oh, these people are so good at a certain thing, and you just don't care about yeah. it. Yeah. As a filmmaker, yeah. it's worth watching at least the first few episodes of Legion. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. If only for like, I can't believe they're making this. Yeah, and it's in yeah. its third season. Yeah, yeah, and you know F- it's a Marvel, it's a Marvel show. FX's ability to support TV shows is like 
crazy. Yeah. I, yeah, I think the marvelness of it all is the thing, actually. That's a piece of it. They also, yeah. FX's international deals are so, they perform so well in other countries oh, huh. that it allows them to support shows that if they were catering only to the United States, mm-hmm. they would just never be able to support from season to season. Just like the old indie models, right? Look at mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, so Sam, if we want to find out more about what you're doing. Well, you like, can where check can we out, see your dance videos? You can <laughs> check out my tinkering around in the garage on Twitter and Instagram. Sam Reich spelled out both handles. S-A-M-R-E-I-C-H. That's correct. And subscribe to Dropout. It's a week-long free trial. What have you got to lose? Hey. And that's just dropout.com? That is dropout.tv. Dropout.tv. Cool. Perfect. Well, if you want to learn more about all the things that we talked about on the show, uh, you can visit justshootitpod.com. We're on social media across the board at justshootitpod. And I'm at Mr. Madden And I'm on Instagram at OKaplan. And if you want to email us, email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. This episode was edited by Jay McAuliffe, produced by Madeline Rosewatt. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Leave us an iTunes review. That would be awesome. We will catch you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.